Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing podcast series, The Path to Wellbeing in Law. I'm your co-host, Chris Newbold, Executive Vice President of Alps Malpractice Insurance. And our goal here is simple, to introduce you to cool people doing awesome work in the space of lawyer well-being, and in the process, build and nurture a national network of well-being advocates intent on creating a culture shift within the legal profession. I'm joined uh, today by my friend and fellow co-chair of the National Task Force, Bree Buchanan. Bree, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Yeah, and, and today we're going to continue uh, a, a, an evolution that we've that we've done in the last uh, two podcasts, which is kind of a march around the states. Uh, we started in Virginia. Uh, we spent some time with Heidi Alexander in Massachusetts, and uh, and and we really do kind of feel like the the states are really kind of getting out front testing new well-being initiatives and commitment, um, making investments in, the, in, in well-being uh, as a, as a, as in terms of the health of their members and, and health of the, the health of the profession. And as we know, movements generally are driven by, by things that happen at the grassroots level. And so um, today, we're going to con- kind of continue that. And a few states have jumped out front. One of them is the state of Utah. Uh, and we're very excited uh, uh, to have us joined today by Martha Knudsen, who is the executive director of the Utah State Bar's Wellbeing Committee uh, for for the for the legal profession. And, uh, and and Martha is the is the is the byproduct of some work that's happened in Utah. And we're really excited about some of the things happening in Utah. And excited to welcome um, Martha to the podcast. So, Bree, would you be so kind to introduce Martha? Absolutely. And Martha, uh, just welcome. We're so delighted to have you. So Martha Knudsen, prior to working in the well-being field, she practiced law for 18 years. She was a litigator in a private law firm practice. She was also general counsel of, of a leading real estate management company. And then, of course, there, I imagine there's a story here. Hopefully we'll hear it. In 2015, Martha's career took a turn and she pursued um, what she earned at that point in time, a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and she now regularly speaks and publishes um, articles on well-being in the law, as well as the great work that she's doing at the Utah Bar. So um, welcome, Martha. I wanted to, we always ask our guests a, a question at the very beginning, and um, it's about what brought you to the well-being movement? What experiences in your life are really drivers behind what I know is that you have a passion for this work? That is a great question. And um, as you so deftly noticed, there is a story. Um, I was attracted to the the well-being and law movement for very personal reasons. I, because I really suffered from burnout, depression, and anxiety that got um, kind of manifested when I was in private practice. About the third year of practice at my firm, I, uh, I remember just suddenly not being happy, like life had no color. I felt like I was going to grow old and die, and die behind my desk. And 
but I kept putting my head down and working and working because I wanted to excel in the profession. I wanted to learn how to be a litigator. I wanted to make partner and I did all those things. Right. And, um, but it wasn't like, Oh, I will be, I always thought I'll be happy when, um, but by the time I got to 10 years into my practice, I was miserable, burnt out all the rest. And so I walked away from my partnership and thought I was just washing my hands up. But I, I really figured that I could either do well as a lawyer or be happy in my life. So retirement didn't last long. <laughs> I, I got talked out of it um, to go work for a great company as the general counsel. And um, as I made the decision to do so, I thought I want to do this differently. I want to see if I can do well at work and as an attorney and be well in my life. So I went out and I started doing research. So all good research is me search. So I start, I came across as I'm, as I'm looking like, how can you thrive in your career and your life? So I found the, the science of positive psychology, which is really the science of optimal human performance and thriving. And I um, learned about focusing on strengths and uh, protective factors and how to work better with my emotions and cognitive processes and all the different things that science tells us goes into increased well-being. And I learned that doing well um, or being well in your life really drives doing well. <coughs> yeah, I'd be making a false choice. So that's, that is what led me back um, to school. So I ended up going and getting my master's degree um, while still working full time and remodeling my house. So that actually probably was not the best well-being choice, a little overloaded there. But uh, um, yeah, and as I came out, I made the decision to step back from the practice uh, in favor of serving the profession. Yeah. I just want to echo some things that you said earlier that really popped out to me when you talked about being in the practice and you said life had no color. And that's just a great phrase. Really, when I was um, with the lawyer's assistance program in Texas for about a decade and I, and I heard that and I could just envision that as um, when I had so many people call, they were just really unhappy in their lives and unhappy in their practice. And it was manifesting um, as depression or anxiety or et cetera. So yeah, I just wanted to, to kind of capture that a little bit. Yeah. And Martha, what a, what a, what a bold move, right? I mean, most people don't have <laughs> that willpower to be able to say, you know, I, I, I've climbed the mountain, I'm, I'm, I'm at the partnership level, but then to really kind of look inside and say, but, but am, I, am I really truly satisfied in where I'm at? Uh, well, thank you. It was, uh, it felt a little, um, it, it felt like a lifesaver for me at the time, but I, I know I had lots of colleagues that, well, it was interesting. I had some that were scratching their heads, but I had others, um, I had partners that came into my office and said, I will deny this if you ever use my name, but I wish I could do what you're doing. Go, run free, be free. And uh, um, that was interesting to me. And, and to, to hear that from people that they were envious of the decision I, that I was making. And it, you know, it's too bad because it doesn't need to be that way. And the more that I've learned um, about the science of well-being and performance and the rest, 
And the more I interact with attorneys on, on this end, it really doesn't need to be that way. Like the law is an incredible profession and we all deserve, and, and frankly, society deserves for lawyers to be doing well. Well said. Well, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about Utah, right? And, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious, and, and I have a little bit of experience with Utah because I, I was actually on your task force, uh, yeah. although um, not as probably actively involved as I should have been, but which oftentimes happens. But uh, obviously, the Utah Supreme Court, you know, you have a couple of great leaders in, in, uh, in Justice Paige Peterson and then your former bar president, Dixon uh, Burton and and you know you guys you guys get going and you launch this task force. Talk about that process and 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 how that came together, uh, how long the task force uh, worked and uh, and 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 how you how you uh, finished that uh, that that phase of of and uh, where you where that phase took you and where we are now. Great. Well, that's um, so it really was the brainchild of Chief Justice uh, Matthew Durant. Mm. And this came as a result of the incredible task force report um, that you folks, you know, were a big part of. So um, Justice Durant and Justice Peterson, they, like, they, they just um, dove into that report and they answered the call that was made to states, bar associations, courts, et cetera, to take a look at lawyer well-being. And so um, they brought in Dixon Burton, who um, was an incredible leader, and they formed this task force. And, and it was really important to Justice Peterson and Dixon Burton to have um, thought leaders on this task force, thought leaders in um, firms, in law schools, in like small practice, solo practice, um, across the courts, different judges, and to also have different experts be a part of this because they wanted to put something out and that people would notice and listen to. And so I was um, fortunate enough to be on this task force because of my, um, the combination of my experience practicing law and my positive psychology expertise. So we sat down together about once a month for, I think it was nine or 10 months. And we really used that national task force report as a blueprint for how to operate. Um, and you know, we followed along with the recommendations that were in that task force report, which is, it was beautiful not to have to reinvent the wheel. And we came up with different recommendations for the various stakeholders in the Utah legal profession. For example, the courts, um, lawyers, law students in law schools, the bar, regulators, etc. cetera. Um, and one of the primary uh, recommendations that the task force made, and this was near and dear to my heart, um, is, was to have a baseline assessment done using scientific measures by like the science guys to figure out where Utah sits. Are we, you know, we have that national study, which was so instrumental in, in uh, galvanizing this movement, but does Utah look just like that? Are we the same? Are we different? Are we better in some areas, worse in others? And, and we also wanted to try to drill down to see, are there pockets 
of um, different types of practice or age or whatever, or like rural versus urban, where lawyers are doing better or lawyers are doing worse. So we can get some clues on where we should be focusing our efforts. So we, um, we are working with the University of Utah School of Medicine, an occupational epidemiologist uh, named Dr. Matthew Thies. And we, he came in and, and we worked together to put um, a survey out. So that, that is, so the recommendations and the beginning of this lawyer study kind of started at the same time. Um, and in the midst of all this, uh, the decision was made to, um, to convert the task force to a permanent standing committee under the Utah State Bar's umbrella um, to, and the purpose of the task, or excuse me, the purpose of the committee is to carry out the recommendations of the task force. And so that is where we are now as we are working on those recommendations and um, the study is we have we have results back on the baseline study and we are still analyzing data and working forward on that as well. I had heard about the study that you were doing and really excited about it and the implications that it can have for other states as well. Do you have a sense of when it's going to be completed or the data will be available? Yes, I actually can give you some of the data now. Um, so we continue to pull in um, more data using the same survey, but there's their preliminary data was made available um, at the beginning of 2020. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. And then we continue to collect data as we go along and, and the study will morph. But um, the preliminary data that we are seeing is there, there's some good and there's some troubling. Um, while I can tell, let, let's start with the positive, right? So um, we are seeing actually, there are areas that lawyers in Utah are doing really well. Um, about 46% of us have a moderate or high level of job satisfaction, um, which is awesome. And there's things that lawyers have answered when we've asked to like dug in on, on why that is. Um, lawyers in Utah that, that say they are satisfied with their job, they really enjoy collaborating and working with others. They like that connection piece, which we know from you know, the, the science, how important that is to motivation and well-being and performance. They like the intellectual challenge. Um, they enjoy, th those folks enjoy knowing that their contributions matter, that they have a, a sense of meaning and purpose in their work. And all those things are really great to find that out because we're seeing that, um, I mean, those are areas that are right for us to go and see if we can create more of that for more of the population. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so those are the positives. <laughs> um, there are some, there, there were some really troubling um, results though that we found. So as we did this, this research, we were really um, mindful about how we set it up because we used, we use a lot of different measures, but one measure in particular that we used is called the PHQ-9, and it is a um, it, it's a, a measure that is used a ton. Like, there's really reliable, valid, and it measures depressive symptoms or like likelihood to have clinical depression and also measures um, suicide, right, or your suicidal ideation 
and those kinds of things. Cause that's something that we were, we've been concerned about because of what we've seen nationally and also anecdotal um, evidence. And we also chose that measure because there is a national data collection set that comes out every couple of years called the N Haynes. And we wanted to be able to compare what our population here in Utah, the Utah lawyers look like compared to um, people in the national general working population. Like how do we compare? So what we found um, is that lawyers in Utah are five times more likely to experience um, depressive symptoms than the general working population. Um, about 44.4% of responding lawyers reported feelings of depression. And from um, our data, we are uh, seeing that it indicates about 15% have a serious um, depressive disorder. And that is, that is really troubling. That is. And so let me ask this real quick. When you talk about comparing lawyers with the working population, mm -hmm. is that just all workers in the population or is that lawyers? That's all workers in the population. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So we want to see if you're a lawyer rather than just do generally employed individual, does that increase your risk of developing um, some of the occupational hazards that we too often see in our profession? Um, and so, you know, along those lines, I'll give you two more numbers and then, uh, but I think there's a lot more encouraging that's coming, that, that's coming up. But uh, we're seeing about 48.7% of the um, Utah lawyers responding are reporting some level of burnout. And um, burnout, I think, is something a lot of us can relate to on some level. And it's, um, it's very common, can happen to anybody in any job. Uh, but it is a risk factor for developing some of these other uh, more serious problems that, that we see. And, and, and Martha, just real quick, yes. that 48.7 burnout, percent of burnout, it, I assume that's pre-COVID, right? Yes. Yes. This is all pre-COVID data. The data that we've collected is pre-COVID that, that's going into these numbers that I'm telling you. Um, and then we'll see. I'm, I'm curious as we move forward uh, with continuing data collection if we see a, a, an uptick in some of these, um, both positive or negative, right? Because there's, there, it could be that um, we see some, some positive things come out of that as well. Um, but one, one last number that I'd like to just share with you, um, because it is really guiding a lot of our work here in Utah, and I think it's something that nationally we all should be paying attention to. So there is a, um, question in that N. Haynes uh, measure that we talked about that asks how, um, how often do you have thoughts of being better off dead or of hurting yourself? And um, what we have found is that lawyers in Utah are 8.5 times more likely to report thoughts of being better off dead or hurting yourself than compared to the general working population. And that is very sobering. That is. Mm. Yeah, let me just real quick, because I think people will be listening and they're trying to compare, thinking about their state, uh, compared to what you're talking about. How many lawyers are in Utah? What size of the bar? Uh, we have a little shy of 10,000 that are active. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And your survey sample size ended up being generally what? 
Our survey sample size was about 700. So we had a statistically significant number mm -hmm. um, and we sampled from across um, geography, age, gender, you know, all the things. So we have a really, um, a really good sample that is there, that is very reliable. Yeah. And is, I, and is that a report, is that been written up, reduced to writing, and is that available anywhere? So there, the, the preliminary numbers that I've talked about today, they are available. Um, they, they came out in an article to the Utah State Bar. They're available on our wellbeing website, which is wellbeing.utahbar.org under data on Utah lawyers. Okay. And then there are, um, we're drilling down even further into the data um, on, on a lot of the other measures we're looking at. And we've got um, some articles that are out for publication right now. And so those are not available yet, but they should be available hopefully within the, the next few months. Great. And, and I'm happy to answer questions to anybody that's interested or I could connect them with our researcher. I know Dr. Thies has been speaking with several other states about um, using the same survey we, we developed and, and all of us working together on this. Right, right. And so for people who are listening, if you go scroll down, if you can see this online, in the transcript, we'll have links that um, Martha was just talking about if people want to be able to access that. Yeah. Martha, first of all, I want to uh, commend, again, the leadership there, because I think, I mean, obviously, we're an evidence-based profession, right? And, and I think that probably goes to kind of one of the things that you were thinking about, which is, you know, we need to be able to document the issue as it relates to Utah lawyers to then kind of know where we're at and where we need to get to. Um, I'm, I, I'm curious how much you um, needed to spend for the survey, because I, I know one of the things that I oftentimes recommend two state task forces is some type of a survey apparatus. Sometimes it's more of the informal unscientific method, which is still important because you're still doing a lot of education through the survey tool itself. Right. You went a much more kind of academic, scientifically based uh, method. So I'm just kind of wondering what you, what type of resources you invested to be able to produce that. Well, uh, we pulled a rabbit out of a hat a little bit here, and um, it, you know, the the bar originally and the, the courts were thinking of hiring a uh, survey company, and uh, myself and a couple other members of the task force really lobbied against that mm -hmm. because we wanted to have that evidence based, like scientific survey, so we could um, know that what we were asking, we were getting correct, like reliable answers. So then we can measure again to see if we move the needle, all those things. And, uh, um, we were fortunate enough to have connection to, to Dr. Thies and, and he comes at it from like the population standpoint, instead of an individual, like looking at what's going on in the population. And we talked to Matt, and he was willing to pitch in and do this for us for um, a, a very reasonable sum. At the time, um, I believe we paid him less than 15 grand to, to do this. And, and I'll tell you, he has put in so much time um, and effort and resources above and beyond that amount um, that it, it's been phenomenal and I know he's very willing to work with other states um, on this and to help them out and do what you know he can with the resources that they have um, but also we are out there we're out right now in the um, in the community 
um, talking to other organizations, working on getting grants, because what we'd like to do with this, with this research is expand it far beyond Utah and start doing some interventional studies where we get in and you tweak something, right, to see if it changes. And then Dr. Thies is, is, uh, and his partners are out there right now trying to find grant money so we can do this. So um, support of anyone listening um, and th that would like to be involved in this is, is invited. Yeah, inter very interesting. And I, I'm, I'm curious whether the scope at all addressed any of the corresponding causation issues or, or you know, was, it, was there any movement into that area in terms of just the overall scope of, of, of the survey? Yes. Um, the, you know, the, the data that's come out thus far has been very focused on what we're finding um, with some of these outcomes, I guess, if that's the right way to say it. But we also, you know, we could have had a huge long survey and I was like, oh, let's add this and let's add this and, you know, using all my positive psychology background. But um, we decided, we, we pinpointed a few areas um, to look at to see if we could get some clues, right? So one of the areas that we are looking at and, and did look at with the um, survey is social support. And the perceptions that people have that they are supported belong in, um, in their organizations, in the community, in their lives outside of work. So social support is something that is incredibly important. And we are doing the analysis right now to see correlations between perceived social support and where you sit on some of these other measures. So we looked at that, we looked at work engagement um, we looked at how often people are um, moving, um, like the physical movement piece of that. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff. It's been a while since I've looked at the survey. But yeah, we, we are definitely trying to look at the causation piece. And that's something we will continue to dig into. Because um, this, this survey that we, we see it as a real starting point, because that's what we want to do is get to the causation, right? We want to see what's going on and why this is happening. So this gives us a place to um, really drill down. So like, for example, if you see one area of practice, um, like well, family law, and if we see that folks in family law are, um, tend to be having a harder time with some of these well-being measures than others, what are they doing differently? So we can go back and work with some of these same study participants um, the University of Utah can, this is all confidential, right? Like, I don't know who said what, and nor should I know, nor should the bar know, and they won't. Um, but to see what clues we can get, so then we can start build out some interventions, to find out the cause and then build out interventions. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting having kind of, you know, looked at this issue and, and monitored, obviously, over the last several years that, you know, the the, the growth of the scientific approach in our space is something that is a, a real opportunity for us. And I think we're, we're all thankful that uh, both you and, and Utah in general is kind of jumping out in front uh, because I, I think that documenting the issues and, and understanding causation and, you know, th that's going to allow us ultimately to be more surgical in our approach and on, you know, what levers we need to pull to improve the overall well-being of, of, of the profession, which obviously lends, then leads to a better legal system in general. Right, right. And you know, one thing I didn't mention that I'd love to uh, just throw out there for all the listeners um, is the focus that Utah is moving toward on organizations. Um, as part of our study, we have enrolled, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's nine 
nine, between nine and 12 uh, law firms to participate in the survey as an organization. So we can, we can start to suss out like, why is one organization doing better than another? Um, so we can see some clues there because organization and culture has such an incredible impact on well-being. I mean, we talk about well-being a lot as individual things that we all can do, and they're very important, right? But the, um, but the fishbowl that we swim in is just as, if not more so, important to our well-being. So the more we can see what our culture is like, what our organizations are doing that help our well-being and that could cut against it, I think the more we can really get to the bottom of what's happening to cause some of these problems and what are people doing that are um, lending or that are what, what are organizations doing that are helping lawyers to thrive. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's take a break here. And I'd like to come back, Martha, and, and, and talk more about just, you know, kind of where you're at in your day to day, what you're hoping to accomplish as you kind of think about the various pathways that you've selected to, uh, to pursue. And then obviously words of wisdom that you have for other states who are embarking uh, either on this journey or embarking on the journey. So let's take a quick break and, and we'll be back. Your law firm is worth protecting and so is your time. Alps has the quickest online application for legal malpractice insurance out there. Apply, see rates, and find coverage, all in about 20 minutes. Being a lawyer is hard. Our new online app is easy. Apply now at applyonline.alpsnet.com. Welcome back, everybody. We've got with us today Martha Knudsen, who is the director of the Utah Bar's Wellbeing Committee for the Legal Profession. And we've been talking about some really interesting um, data that's coming out of the survey that they're doing. But Martha, I wanted to hear what else is the committee working on right now? Oh, well, there's a lot. Um, let's see if I can if I can give you some broad areas that were that we have been um, working on and seeing some success. One area that Utah has really um, done well with is communicating that well-being is important. And we're doing so using several mediums. Um, we regularly have well-being related articles in our bar journal. Um, at every CLE conference that we have, there is a track that is discussing um, different well-being related areas. Um, so we're, we're Seeing that, we've got social media that is posting. Um, we are using our monthly e-bulletin um, and putting out little well-being bites and news on, on that area. So we're pr really promoting and getting out and talking about the importance of well-being. And we're seeing that branch to beyond the well-being committee into other committees that are starting to take up the same um, the same push with, with the importance of well-being. Um, we're also working on increasing education and teaching people about what are the um, protective factors and to some of the things that we're seeing. And also, um, many of us don't ever experience those things, but how can we go from where we are to even doing better? Like, how can we really thrive in the practice of law? And it was Recently, after COVID hit, um, we did a three-part resilience series 
for lawyers and had an overwhelming response. Um, I was amazed. We had over 500 people on every session that we offered. That's amazing. Yeah, that was really, that was super encouraging to see lawyers talking about that. So we're doing those things. We're working on stigma reduction. Um, We are really pushing uh, awareness of resources available. How do you get access to them? Um, gosh, what else? There's, I mean, I could go on and on. We're, we're working on amending some of like the rules of professionalism to expand the definition, um, to allow for more, uh, programming in that area. And that is something that is, uh, very supported within the MCLE board and the rest. And, and that's pending. Um, oh, that's great. That's such yeah. an important piece. Yeah. yeah, the law schools are doing awesome things. Both law schools have dedicated counselors um, for the students. So we're really seeing a, uh, a push. And, and But right now, so much of it has to do with education, getting people to recognize like, or understand what is well-being, why does it matter, and how do we start? And, and we put together a couple of phase one best practices for organizations and individuals to give people the, that place to start. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the podcast and, and, and encourage our guests to opine on is, you know, what are ultimately the drivers of the culture shift that we're trying to engineer? And it sounds like in Utah, you've, you've put a lot of your, um, you know, marbles into the education space, that the, the more that we can make people aware, the more that we can build, con- you know, a, 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 a set of practitioners and others associated with the legal profession that are aware of the realities of our profession, that that's going to go a long way in terms of ultimately having us think through a, just a different lens than we do today. Right, right. And I think in Utah, we put our eggs in, let's see, probably three broad baskets. I might add one as I speak, but we'll see. So one would be like research. Where, where are we? So we know where we are and where we're going. We talked about that. The other one is education. What is well-being and why should you care? Um, even if you don't care about people being happy, even though it's the right thing to do, you should care because it makes you a better lawyer and better lawyers impact the bottom line. Like, right? Organizations, your lawyers are your assets. So that. Um, and number three, resources. Providing, um, like, what are, what are the things that people can build within themselves and within their organizations, which is part of education, right? Like, mm-hmm. what can you do to actually start to move the needle? Where do you start? So those are um, probably the big three that we have focused on first. Um, and within those, there's just so much stuff going on. But yeah, that, that's really where, we, where we're starting. Because if you want to, culture change is hard, right? Um, it it is very hard to turn the, uh, the Titanic. Well, I guess that's probably not, I shouldn't say Titanic. It's really hard to turn a really large ship. Lawyers are not the Titanic. (laughs) That was a, that was probably a bad, uh, use of, um, example, but, um, culture is hard to change and it takes education. It takes leaders being willing, willing to stand up and, um, talk about why well-being is important and then walk the talk. Um, it, it, you know, this is COVID um, and the coronavirus is actually something I think 
this one of the silver linings is that I think that is going to drive a culture change because it's um, been speeding up the process of getting our profession to recognize that well-being is um, bound up with everything that we do as a lawyer. Um, our well-being is vital to our ability to practice well and do it so sustainably. And so where it was like even eight months ago, we're starting to see the conversation get bigger and bigger, but it's also easily put by, by leaders um, in a lot of organizations kind of pushed the side or pushed off to HR as something that just HR deals with. And now we have the situation where work is disrupted and things have gone a little bit bonkers. Um, and you have law firm leaders that are recognizing they have to care about the well-being of their people if they want this workforce to be sustainable. Mm. And, right. and so I think that is going to drive culture change in, in a really positive way. Those are interesting insights. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've all spent time in our shelter in place, you know, uh, uh, positions and, and, and just had a lot of time to reflect, right? <laughs> what, yeah. what is it that we want? And, and, and what, what, is, what is our position? What is our, what is our family? What is our firm? What is our, you know, I'm really kind of thinking about those big picture, big, big picture issues that I, I think you're right that the, that the pandemic has been a very uh, interesting time, I think, and, and potentially a real disruptive force for the betterment on the well-being front. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Martha. Um, your role, right? You're you're the executive director. You know, you, you, I, I, I presume that you're working full time. But talk to me about just kind of your commitment, right? Because we we do need folks who are kind of who play the point guard position and can you kind of kind of lead lead the symphony, if you will. And and I'm just kind of curious on you and your role with the Utah State Bar. Yeah, my role um, with the Utah State Bar looks a little different, I think, than, than my counterparts. Um, there's the few of us out there. So I actually am not a full-time employee of the bar. I, um, I, am a, I contract with the bar for about 10 hours of, time, of my time a week to focus on well-being efforts and to take the recommendations of the task force and now the committee and move them forward. And this is really, this position was really the brainchild of uh, um, Justice Paige Peterson, who she thought, you know, we have all these great ideas and we have all these folks on the committee and it, in the court and, and the bar who really care about well-being. But unless you have somebody that's paid for it, it's really difficult to make that the top priority, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, so that is, that's my, my relationship with the bar. So I do, I do that work and then I do, um, other, other things as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it's worked out. And it's been, um, it, it's really been interesting to me how, um, how much we can get done with, with that amount of time. So, yeah. yeah I that, think there's, you know, there's, Oftentimes we kind of feel like, boy, if we can't have a full-time person, we're just not going to be able to make a difference. And I think that you're proving in Utah that, you know, in fact, with very limited resources and a, and a limited allocation of a state bar, a state Supreme Court, you can actually make a huge difference with, with, with you know, a, a, you know, something that's far less significant than what we're seeing in, in states like Virginia and Massachusetts, where you're, right. where you're actually seeing kind of lawyer assessments on bar dues, right? That the, right. 
that uh, you know, there's some real opportunity out there for smaller states, let's call it states less than 25,000 lawyers to really invest in well-being, but to do it in kind of innovative, innovative and, and contract labor-based ways. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that uh, um, it would be absolutely wonderful to have um, access to more resources and, and we'll see where, where that all goes, um, not just in Utah, but in other states. But I think um, if you want to get your state moving um, forward with well-being, you certainly need to have a, a group of thought leaders in the community that um, people listen to. So you need a group of those folks. And then if you can have somebody that is dedicated, dedicating some of their time and um, paid to, to moving initiatives forward, I think that makes a huge difference. And I would, I would say it's very important to have um, an attorney do that if at all possible. Mm-hmm. And the, the benefit that um, I have with, with my position and I'm certainly not super unique in this. I guess I am to some extent, but that I have, like I practiced law for 18 years. I know what it's like to be a law firm partner. I know what it's like to be general counsel and run cases and try cases and do all the things. So I know what it's like. And then I also have the positive psychology expertise side of it. So you don't have to have that, that necessarily that expertise, but I think to have someone that can, um, that has experience as an attorney take this forward is something that um, does make a difference. Uh, so, but it is definitely something that states can do on a limited budget. And so Martha, I'm just really, one of the things we like to ask is sort of what are the secrets to your success, your state's success so far? And one common theme, which I definitely see in Utah is that you have strong leadership from the Supreme Court mm-hmm. um, in getting this started. Are there other secrets to your success that you want to share that you haven't already? Well, you, yeah, you're right on the strong leadership. Um, having folks that are visible in the community and that walk the talk is a um, definite benefit, right? That's a secret to our success. Um, I think the science side of it, really looking at, at evidence-based decisions is um, something that is valuable. Uh, another secret to the success that we've been seeing, I think, is a willingness of those same leaders that, that we discussed um, being able to be vulnerable and authentic about why it, their well-being matters and what they do to, um, to take care of it. And we've had a push, and this is part of the anti-stigma campaign too. We've had um, several of our leaders um, that are on the committee and otherwise stand up. And, and of course, we've had some that are in recovery and have said, hey, look, this is, this is my path. This is what happened to me. This is what I do now to stay on track. And then we have others, though, that say, and well-respected in the community, that we've had panels and that, that have stood up to say, look, this is how I take care of my mental health. I um, like, like the old stereotypical um, law firm male partner. I go to therapy every couple weeks. I schedule time to do this. I schedule time with my friends. I make sure I do this. And, and so we have those leaders that people are like, well, if that guy can do this. I can do this. So I think that is huge. It is. And also I, I have to give a shout out to the culture of um, the Utah bar folks here tend to be, uh, pretty helpful. 
um, and, and care about each other. So that has been a secret to our success is just that we have that culture. On the flip side, are there any things that um, I guess that you uh, learn the hard way that you'd want to warn other folks about who are trying to follow in your Utah's footsteps. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the big ones that I keep seeming to have to learn and tell myself on our committee, we have to tell ourselves is you can't eat the elephant all at once. Um, it is small steps, right? One step at a time and celebrate small wins and recognize that, hey, like, look where we were five years ago compared to now. So one small step at a time and recognize that this is, this is a marathon, not a, a sprint. Um, because it's easy for me to get in, in my head and start thinking, oh, we should already have this all done by now, which is crazy talk. But that is, so, you know, you can end up getting in that, in that bucket. Um, another Another lesson that I have learned the hard way through a lot of different experiences, um, but I'm trying to use that lesson now, is the more you can make small shifts in things that are already happening, right? Meet people where they are um, and make small shifts. So I don't need to read, like, for example, uh, we want to get the message out about well-being. And so I thought, like, some states have done a whole new well-being um, newsletter, all these things. And that's wonderful, but we don't have the budget or the bandwidth to build that up. So how can I use what's already there to start push, pushing that message out? So that, that is a, a big lesson. And also another thing that I've had to keep reminding myself, and I think I said this, like meet people where they are. So in the world that I have become immersed in with well-being, both working with the University of Pennsylvania Positive Psychology Program, being on the well-being committee, talking to all you folks nationally, is you start to forget that there's a lot of folks that are that still need, they don't know what we're talking about with well-being. They, they need to understand the basics again and again and again and again and again. So that's, um, you can't just say it once and then jump to the next five things. Right. So. They don't see the world through our eyes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You got to, to meet people where they are. Heidi, one, one, uh, sorry, Martha, one, one final question. Uh, optimistic or concerned about what lies ahead on the well-being front? Optimistic. I'm optimistic. I think that, uh, that we're waking up uh, as a profession and silver lining the coronavirus, I think is helping that. And I'll, and I'll give you a little story maybe that would highlight this. Like when I was a young lawyer, nobody talked about this stuff. And, and, and I think that's probably pretty common. Um, I don't think it was definitely not unique to my organization. Um, and if anything, if somebody struggled, um, the answer was like, oh, they can't cut it, right? I don't hear that anymore. I, I am very optimistic about that. We have, um, people are talking about it. They are talking about not just like the preventative proactive stuff, but they're talking about their own struggles. And so that is making me super optimistic. I mean, look what's happening nationally with the organization that you two have been so instrumental in putting forward. We have research that we're learning more. So I'm optimistic. Well, excellent. Well, Martha, we, we, we so appreciate you coming on the, the podcast. You are your presence and the Utah State Bar's commitment to well-being is in fact one of those one of those small wins, right? That adds up to kind of where we're trying to get to in this long marathon. But uh, it, it certainly is exciting to know that uh, 
we're in good hands as 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 as, as our leader uh, as as you lead in Utah, right? And and I think again, we need to be thinking about ways that we can firmly have people at the grassroots level around the country, you know, who are just focused and, and excited about this particular issue. Because the 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 bigger our army gets, I think the more success we ultimately will have. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Bree. Any final closing comments? That's it. Thank you, Martha, so much for being with us today. Exciting stuff. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I love what what y'all are doing nationally. Yeah. Keep it coming. Well, I, when I when I heard your kind of notions of you know research and education and and resources, it made me really think about a lot of those early discussions at the national task force level. So it's nice to know that we're aligned. I think in in understanding what the drivers are to uh, to uh, to this movement and and ultimately where we're going. Right. Right. Agreed. Good stuff. Thanks. Thanks, Martha. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, uh, be well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.